The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Uh, I've titled this message, and really it's, it's the second message I think I've given lately. Uh, back in October, I presented a message called Our Motive for Mission. And this week, I uh, entitled this Our Motivation for Mission, and you might put a number two behind that. The question begs itself when we talk about mission, missions. Why do we do what we do? I mean, what's our motivation in that? Is it something that we do just because we've always done it that way? Take, for instance, the routine you have in the morning. I have a morning routine. How many guys have a morning routine, okay? And I stick to that routine every single morning. And I thought, why do I do the routine the way I do it? The reason I do it is because it's very efficient, I'm pretty pragmatic about that. There's nothing inside that's driving me to do that. And so the question, why do I do the same routine every morning? My wife would say it's because I'm peculiar. I say it's because I have good time management. (laughs) But why do we do the things we do? And I, I have discovered this, that in everything that we do, we talk about motivation. There are two means of motivation. One is an internal motivation. In other words, I do what I do because there's something internally in me or in you that compels me to do that thing. Oftentimes, that internal motivation is driven by values, that I value my family, so I'm going to be motivated to do a lot of family stuff, right? I, I cherish my family. Sometimes it's not only that value But there are things that we have convictions over. In other words, I'm convicted that this is right or this is wrong. And that's my motivation for doing or for not doing. And it's the same in missions. And we're going to look at some of the motivations this morning that I think the Bible gives us as to why we should be motivated regarding missions. There's a story that's shared by J.P. Morgan. He was a 19th century guy and he had a sister. His sister had sent her her son off to college in a faraway place, and to his demise, he would con- her demise, she would continually write to him and would not receive letters back from him. So she tells JP, her brother, JP, I can't get my son to respond to me. What should I do? And he says, I have an idea. Write her a letter and say here, or write him a letter and say, here's the $50. I hope you use it well and send it to him. So she followed JP's instruction, sent the letter. And she intentionally left the $50 out of the envelope. And when her son got the envelope, she promptly received a letter back. Mom, thanks for the letter, but was there $50? You said we're going to be in there. You see, there's that motivation sometimes externally. But I think the reason that we should be motivated by God towards mission is that motivation that comes through conviction, that motivation that comes through a love for him and a love for others as he's called us to be a part of missions. I would say this, that missions is a kingdom imperative. We talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Jesus. At the very heart of God's kingdom is missions. Sometimes I think we've done missions more injustice by saying that missions only includes foreign missions, that you've got to go over there somewhere to be involved in missions. But the biblical definition of missions is evangelism and discipleship. 
So it does not matter where we are involved in missions. God has called us to share the good news of the gospel, right? And He's called us to make disciples who then can make other disciples. So it's not a question of whether we go there or we stay here to do missions. I would say missions is both and all. Amen? And so we don't have to go over, and God's called us right here we are. It's a a kingdom imperative, and Jesus, when He came, He made this declaration in in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. If you wanted to ask what Jesus' mission was, it's stated right there. Jesus came that He might seek and save that which was lost. And who does the lost include? That includes every one of us and every human being. For the Bible teaches that we are born in sin and separated from God because of our sin. But God graciously sent His Son that we might have a relationship with Him. John Piper kind of became famous in the area of missions with this very simple statement. He said this. He said, missions exist because worship does not. Let that rattle around in your head for a minute. Because see, the ultimate goal in mission is to see people come to know Christ, to become disciples who are sent to make other disciples, so that God can be glorified. And God is most glorified when people come into relationship with Him. And it's been God's plan all the way from the dawn before the beginning of creation to reconcile lost man to Himself. You can take the Bible from cover to cover, all the way from the book of Revelation, uh, Genesis, all the way to the end, the book of Revelation, and thread all the way through it. It is God's plan to redeem, to save lost mankind. That's it. It's all there. And so it's still a mandate for us. Henry Martin wrote this. He said, the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. Spirit, capital S. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions. And the nearer that you and I grow to Him, that is to Jesus, the nearer we grow to Him, the more intensely missionary we become. See, we cannot be in close fellowship with Jesus without that naturally happening that we become more mission-minded. And so an antidote in in my life that I look and I measure oftentimes in that regard of my desire to be missional, I always have a check there and I say, how close am I in fellowship with Jesus? Because if I'm in fellowship with Him, it is going to be a natural desire to be about what He was about, seeking and saving that which was lost. That's His heartbeat. You see, Jesus wasn't sent just to give us some good things to live by. He wasn't sent to give us the Sermon on the Mount to say, okay, if you just apply these things in your life, then everything will be okay. He wasn't sent as just a good teacher. He wasn't sent just as a prophet, but he came to seek and save those that were lost. And he has graciously invited us to be a part of that mission command that he's he given us. The first motivation that I see in Scripture as a motivation to mission is this. is Number one, is that it is a commandment given to us. 
The shortest and most succinct of, these, of this command that's given to us that's repeated in all four Gospels and the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, is contained in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 16, verse 15, where he said to them, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. It's repeated in all four other Gospels, Matthew 28, that we like to quote 19 and 20, Go and do what? Make disciples. And then it's repeated in Acts chapter 1-8 by Jesus himself where he was about to ascend to the Father and he said, when I leave, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, when Dad said something one time, guess what? Dad meant it, right? Now, Jesus repeats this command, this distinct command, five times in Scripture, and many allusions to it as well. So he didn't just say it once. He said it four times, plus the fifth time as he was ascending. So it's a command that he has given to us to go and make disciples. It's a command that not only has been given to us, but I love this about God, is that God never calls us to do anything that He has not first done. You see, Jesus Himself, God, very God, personally came so that He might seek and save that which was lost. And so it's a demonstrated command. Don't you hate it when somebody says, don't do as I do, do as I say, right? But here God is saying, look, do as I have done. And so he demonstrated that command when he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said this in John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, that wasn't just exclusively for those disciples in his inner circle that happened to hear this. This is for all of us. That as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, please, don't get into the trap of, of having the sense that, boy, I have got to do this evangelism and discipleship thing because if I don't, then God's not going to be pleased with me. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? We're going to talk about the greater motivation for this in just a minute. You see, the greater motivation is fueled out of that which where you and I have come into relationship to God through Jesus Christ. When we recognized how utterly sinful we were, I don't know about you, but I was pretty, sin, not pretty, pretty, yeah, I used to be pretty, now I'm ugly. I was pretty, pretty sinful. And you may not have acted on those things, but in your heart, you were just as depraved as I or anybody else like me was. And to recognize that God so loved you that he drew you to himself, he forgave you of not only your past sins, but your present and all future sin, that you might have fellowship and relationship with Him and a promise and a hope of all eternity. Listen, it just doesn't get any better than that. And that is the impulse to be obedient to what He's commanded because we desire others to know that as well. 
You see, four things we find about Jesus in his coming where he demonstrated is, number one, he came personally. And you and I are to go personally as well. Believe it or not, in the church, we don't hire pastors and staff so they can do our going for us. Right? He has called all of us to go. And he's called us to go personally this last week. And I understand the fears and reservations that you and I have when we sense that God is leading us to share Christ with someone else. I've done it for years, but I still have reservations in doing it. And one of the reservations that keeps me, holds me back sometimes, is a fear of rejection. And the reason there's a fear of rejection there is because I'm such a relational person that I'm afraid that if I share Christ with them, all of a sudden the relationship's going to go away. How stupid is that? I'm talking about me, right? This last week, I had a UPS delivery guy that was delivering some uh, porcelain flooring that I'm redoing my kitchen, and I had to meet him. It's in a tractor trailer, and I had to meet him over near Rockdale High School, and as we are unloading these boxes of tile, by the way, they weighed 66 pounds apiece. I'm too old for that stuff, right? And so we're unloading it, and, and we're having conversation together with each other and just having a good time getting to know each other for a brief time. And, and as the conversation continued, I recognized and realized pretty quickly that, boy, this guy didn't know Jesus. I, I recognize that, that he's lost. And so I began praying as we're unleading, God, unloading, God, give me an opportunity. Give me a way that I might be able to get the gospel in here without it being forced, without being in control. But God, help me meet an area of need in his life. And he began to share with me his marriage relationship. And I said, man, I don't have all the answers to your marriage problems. I, I can tell you that, but I know who does. And my wife and I, early on in our marriage, were on a path, on a quick path to probably separation or divorce, had we not come to know this person named Jesus who radically transformed and changed our life. Man, that makes sense. He says, you know what, I respect you, because most guys like that, that's the first thing they want to come on with. So I had opportunity to share with him more, and in my mind was this thing, man, he, I, he, I'm, I'm going to turn him off if I share, but it was like, no, God, give me the courage to share with this guy. And I don't know if this guy will ever come to know Christ or not. I didn't get to go through the four spiritual laws with him. I didn't get to go through the Romans road with him or all the other methods, but I know this, that God allowed me to plant a seed, and as Blake shared with us last week, somebody will come along that will cultivate, and somebody will come along that will water that seed. And I'm trusting and believing that God, somewhere down the road, is going to bring him to faith in Christ by other faithful believers who are willing to share. Amen? You see, he came personally. The second thing we find out about this is that, is that Jesus came voluntarily. Jesus said, no man takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. It reminds me of Isaiah in, Acts, in Isaiah chapter 6 when we see the account where Isaiah is in the throne room of heaven and he happens to overhear God's heart and God's crying out, Whom shall go for me? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. And the question for us, are we willing to go voluntarily? Am I willing to have my agenda shaken up? And are I willing to have my narcissism laid aside for a little bit that I don't just think about myself and I'm actually going to put myself out in order to go? God, would you use us in that fashion voluntarily? The third way that Jesus came is sacrificially. 
You know, sometimes making disciples gets, gets nasty, right? It gets difficult. It gets hard. People's lives are just messed up in the culture today. And I don't mean that derogatively. Please hear my heart. But man, when you come into contact with people and you hear stories over and over and over, man, there's just stuff there. It takes sacrifice to work through that stuff. And oftentimes there's stuff in, that they're involved in in their life that, yes, it may be offensive. Sometimes I'm afraid we forget that the reason they live the way they live, the reason they act the way they act is because they have not been graced by God the same way that we have in the sense they have not come to know Jesus. And Paul says, man, don't you expect, you should expect them to live that way. They have not come into relationship with Christ. And Paul reminds them in his letters, you too once were. You see, none of us come to Christ cleaned up. He cleans us up, not just outwardly, but transforms us in our hearts and our lives. Not only is there a command from above, but listen, there's a cry from below. And I know this is not a popular subject today. There are many people that deny the existence of hell, but I can't deny what Scripture says. There is a reality of an absolute eternal separation from God in outer darkness where there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as Jesus taught at a place called hell. There's a separation. And we will all live for eternity. It's not a question of whether we live for eternity. The question is where do we reside for eternity? There's a story that, gave, that Jesus gave in the Gospel of Luke, and we won't turn there. But it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Do you recall it? I don't think it's a parable. I, I see it as a real story that Jesus is recounting. That there were two men. One was a rich man, and he lived a lavish style and had all of his blessings in this life. There was another man named Lazarus who was poor and covered in sores and lived a miserable life. But at the end of their days, both of them died the rich man finds himself in Hades, hell, and the poor man finds himself in paradise. And there in Abraham's bosom, the rich man cries out to Abraham, says, Father Abraham, I see, I see Lazarus over there. Will, will you allow him to come over here with just a little bit of water to quench my thirst? And Abraham said, you know what? I can't let him come over there because this great chasm that's here that separates the two. You can't go there, and he can't go there. And the first thing we find is that it is an eternal state. We don't pray anybody out of it. And the rich man says, well, being that it's not possible for me to go over there or him to come over here, would you do this one thing for me? He said, I have five brothers. They're in the same condition I was in. Will you please send someone to tell them so that they may know eternity with you? You see, there's that cry from below. Thirdly, not only is there a command from above and a cry from below, but thirdly, 
There's a call from without. You see, whether we realize it or not, all of mankind desires to know God. Somebody said, that's ridiculous, Jamo. No, everybody desires to know God. Why? Because the writer in Ecclesiastes tells us that God has placed eternity in our hearts. See, every human being that's born understands and knows that there is a creator. And there's that void in their heart and their life until they come to know him as God. So last week I was talking with a young man who had called me on the phone, and I know this young man had grown up in a Christian home. I know at one time in his life he had at least a verbal profession of faith and trust in Christ. And as we were talking, I said, where are you now today? He said, you know, I'm not sure where I am. I don't, I don't hold on to the things I used to hold on to. Oh, don't get me wrong, JML. I still believe that there's a supreme being. That sounded familiar because I had at one point said, all right, I don't, I don't hold any of that stuff I grew up on. There's got to be some supreme being. Why? Because I know there has to be a creator. In his recounting that to me and telling me where he was, I could sense in his heart that he was struggling to know this creator. But he had rejected the one that he had learned of and once professed to know and somehow or another had gotten caught up in what I would call this cultural path away from God. And not only in particular in our culture, but from all of creation, there has always been a cultural path away from God. Why? Because this world is ruled by Satan himself, the father of all lies, and he controls the cosmos in this world, and he wants to lead everybody on a path away from knowing God, their creator. Paul writes about it in the book of Romans when he says this. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and spire and spire, uh, reptiles. You see, if man does not worship the true God, he will make another God to worship. Somebody said that man's mind is, is a perpetual factory of idolatry. Why? Because we were created to worship. Created to worship God. Cultural path away from God. Let me sum it up with this. The last thing that I see as a motivation scripturally is, is that there is a constraint from within. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. We also find in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that Paul tells us that God has poured His love abroad in our hearts. You see, the greatest motivation for all this that we've talked about in missions is that we have a motivation that we love others. Now, sometimes I get caught up on this thing. Is, is my motivation just to see others come to know Christ, or is my motivation because I love them? 
And if I'm not careful, I get caught up in that. But you know what? The bottom line is, He has called us to love. Somebody the other day was talking about uh, end times and those things like that and wanted to, to converse with me on it. And I said, you know, I don't know about all of that. I'm not an eschatologist. I can't figure all that out. That's above my pay grade. When I figure out how to love people the way Jesus has told me to love people, then I'll get to that other stuff. Right now, I'm still working on learning to love people. It's last week, a couple of weeks ago, I had chance, opportunity, went to visit Miss Trudy. How many of you know Miss Trudy? Okay. If you haven't had a chance to know her, I'm sorry. She's a great lady. Miss Trudy's over here in Remington House, and she has stage four cancer, and hospice is called in, and she knows that her end is coming soon. And so I get there to Remington House, and I knock on the door, and I open, and I said, hey, Miss Trudy, it's J-Mo, and she comes out. Those of you who know her will appreciate this. Don't you come in here harassing me. So I came in, and began to talk to Miss Trudy, and Miss Trudy, in her dying bed, motivated by love for others. She hasn't given up. She knows she's dying. But she wants to go out on her very last breath, compelled by love for others so that they may come to know Christ. And Miss Trudy shared this testimony with me that I recorded, and I want you to hear this this morning. Go ahead, Ronnie. There's a worker here that comes and always sits and has conversations with me, and she told me that she was just on the brink of making her profession of faith and I said why don't we do that now and she said now and I said yes I said we don't know what the next minute will bring for us and although my diagnosis is terminal I'll be going home and that'll be good so I win either way on that but you don't know and I don't know I said all this to her, I really did. You don't know and I don't know the plans that God has for us. And so let's settle it now. And I said, come over here. And she came over and sat on my bed and we prayed together and she prayed to receive Jesus as her savior. So God's given me a forum, y'all, just because I'm down, I ain't out. And so, uh, Let's, let's do it together. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us what to do. And if we read that and know what he's asked us to do, we need to get busy. So I'm going to count on all of y'all to get busy. I love you, and come see me. I don't know about you, but I want to go out strong. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.